Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Recently, I read an interesting review of a new book by Sir John Gardner. Apparently, through a series of unique events, he grew up in a house in which hung a huge portrait of the now famous composer Johann Sebastian Bach. It hung on the wall of the staircase that he traveled up and down every day of his life. As a boy, he says he was always fascinated by the portrait that had actually been painted in the 1700s by a famous artist of that period. This portrait was actually published along with the review that I was reading, and I was able to look at the man as the artist interpreted him on canvas. As I looked into his face and eyes under that white wig that they always wore in those days, I observed his stern gaze. I wondered what had motivated this man to produce some of the greatest music ever written, still enjoyed, and still inspiring people more than 260 years after. According to the review, he wrote over 250 sacred cantatas, as well as many other passions and masses. There was even a period of three years in his career when he wrote a 20-minute cantata every week for the church service. Well, admittedly, this is an unsustainable level of work and effort, but the result was a wealth of music for our continued enjoyment down through the years. Bach once explained to an employer that his goal was to compose well-regulated, orderly church music to the glory of God. Well, he certainly achieved this, in my opinion, in spades. Much of his working life was spent in Leipzig at the Lutheran Church of St. Thomas, where he was cantor in charge of music. Sir John explains in his book the amount of work that went into the writing of Bach's Passions, the research and the selection of which scriptures to use and how the intended message would be presented in word and his music. The music, when composed and presented in its day, was actually considered then to be a new music form. It was thought to be complicated and required much thought and concentration to play as well as to sing. Not everyone was able to perform it well. The author says that Bach was a crabby, opinionated, and often contrary workaholic, but one who produced marvelous music. I found the summary given of the man to be insightful and revealing. So John says that while there have been other wonderful composers, among them Beethoven, Mozart, and so on, all of them achieving greatness in various ways. Let me quote Sir John. But it is Bach, he said, who gives us the voice of God in human form. End of quote. What a wonderful tribute to the man and his music. I chose a path, a 
It is Bach who gives us the voice of God in human form. So reasoned Sir John Gardner in this book review. Music has been compared to many things and has been used for many reasons and on numerous occasions. I believe it was Shakespeare who penned the famous line, if music be the food of love, play on. Whatever, but I'm sure everyone can agree that it is true that there are some composers and some music that can sweep us from the natural plane to an elevated plane where we can experience and enjoy incredible beauty and a state of being where we can relate with Sir John's assessment, where we temporarily lose contact with the mundane and can sense the very presence of God. The Bible refers to the stars and the creation as praising God. With music, we too can enjoy one of the highest forms of worship as we join with that creation to sing praises to our great Saviour and Creator God. You may never have listened to Bach, but I'm sure that you can appreciate what I've been talking about through your own experiences with music and your involvement in church as you worship our Father in Heaven with and through music. 
I just found it very moving to read the author's suggestion that Bach's music was so wonderful that he compared it to the voice of God in human form. Music is a vital part of our worship and our ability to enjoy God and what he has given us to enjoy, including the gift of music. with this message. Here's our Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Good morning. Last time in our ongoing study of worship from a biblical perspective, we ended our message with this quote, David had a spontaneous relationship with God because he was continually aware of the presence of God. End of quote. This is in connection with our emphasis of our need to be aware of the presence of God if our worship is truly going to be done in spirit and in truth. That is what we all need to truly worship God as He desires, a spontaneous relationship with God, a relationship in which we are always consciously and acutely aware of the presence of the triune God. This is why I call a genuine worship experience an encounter with the triune God. It is a conscious interaction of a redeemed human being with his or her divine redeemer. And so a master key to genuine worship is learning how to become consciously and personally aware of the presence of the ever-present God. 
to do so would not only transform our Lord's Day morning worship services, but our entire lifestyle as well. But you may ask, is this really possible? The psalmist David certainly thought it was. Listen to his words in Psalm 168, verse 8, quote, I have set the Lord always before me. End of quote. Let me repeat that. David's words. I have set the Lord always before me. Literally, the text reads, I keep the Lord consciously in prominence. Now, how did David do this? Psalms 63 answers these questions for us. Listen as I read then this beautiful psalm of a man who truly learned how to practice the presence of God. Psalm 63, beginning at verse 1, quote, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. End of quote. Now notice several things in this beautiful psalm of worship. First, David sought after God earnestly and diligently. This has to do with his volition. He acted. He did something, not simply thought about it. Secondly, he yearned deeply and intensely for God. This has to do with his heart and his emotions. He felt and had a deep-seated love for his God. Thirdly, he reflected upon God's character and attributes. This has to do with his mind and his thoughts, his intellect, his mental facility, fa faculties. He focused purposely and selectively upon the character of God. Fourth, he ended, or rather, he offered the sacrifice of praise with his lips. This has to do with our words, our speech. It is taken up with praise, not petition or requests for anything. Fifth, he blessed God. Now, friends, this is an amazing statement. We as human beings can actually bless God. We can cause God to be blessed. And I truly believe that genuine worship is the only way we can do this. This is why he seeks those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. God desires to be blessed by his people. What an amazing, humbling concept this is. Six, David raised his hands in worship. This also has to do with his volition and action. The raising of hands to God has always been a natural and spontaneous response of a worshipping people. 
One cannot in fact read the Testament, the New or Old Testament without realizing this. For instance, listen to the record of the response of God's people to the expository preaching of the Word of God by Ezra after it was discovered after many years. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 6, quote, Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Notice, he blessed the Lord. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. End of quote. Friends, this is one of the most concise description of the natural and spontaneous physical response to an awareness of the presence of God given in Scripture. And it is repeated throughout the Word of God, in fact. Lifting up of hands and bowing in humility and submission before a great, awesome, majestic, and holy God whose presence we realize that we are in. That should be our response. I am convinced more than ever before, as I continue to study the scriptures on the subject of worship, how little of it we, and I include myself in this indictment, how little we really experience or witness this presence of God in our gatherings today. Now let me be clear here. Actions alone do not constitute genuine worship. For just as I am convinced that many of us so are intent on remaining so dignified in our corporate worship that we stifle the spirit by our rigidity and conservatism, so I am convinced that much of the frenzied behavior seen in such worship services grieve the Holy Spirit simply because it is self-motivated, self-centered, and focused only on entertaining rather than on genuine worship, marked not only by joy, but by humility and contrition as well. But seven, David actually meditated upon God even upon his bed. The text says he recalled God's help and blessings in the past. Now, although this reflects David's personal worship, it also underlines a corporate principle for worship as well. We must be given the opportunity and we must avail ourselves of that opportunity to meditate and reflect upon the person, the character, and the works of God in our corporate worship services. The Bible seems to teach that it is impossible to worship God without this experience. We must be able to unhurriedly, consciously, and purposefully, unless also quietly, focus upon God. We do not have to always be singing, preaching, or playing an instrument. Quietness, silence, and stillness are as much a part of genuine worship as these activities. In fact, I would dare to say that without the former, the latter is impossible. And it might be that what really determines the validity of the singing, the preaching, and playing of instruments in a worship service is in fact the experience of quietness stillness and silence in the presence of a holy God. And so Psalm 63 then describes for us how we can practice the presence of God, both in private and in corporate worship. Notice the prominent part reflection, meditation and praise play in all of this. And so I say again, we emphasize the verbal and musical aspects of praise a great deal today. 
but very rarely do we hear about the need for reflection and meditation in our corporate worship experience. As someone has said, and I quote, meditation is a lost art, end of quote. So I ask, is this why genuine worship may also be a lost experience today? Because we have lost the art of meditation? This is a very important element of worship that we must consider. Now, I will share a little more with you by way of a personal testimony in the regards of practicing the presence of God in a little while. But I trust that these messages thus far have been both a blessing and a challenge to you as well. I encourage you to call or to write the church for any one or all of the messages in this series. As usual, Greg will give you the address and telephone number at the close of the broadcast. Now, again, we emphasize the need to practice the presence of God if we are to experience true worship as we looked at this psalm, Psalm 63, and the importance the Holy Spirit has placed upon reflection and meditation as a means of becoming aware of the immediate presence of an ever-present God in our midst. In other words, how we are to practice the presence of God that leads to true and genuine worship. I want to make this point with regard to worship, and especially corporate worship. We emphasize the verbal and musical aspects of praise and preaching a great deal today. But very rarely, I repeat, do we hear about the need for reflection and meditation in our worship. And in light of the quotation made by an author that meditation has lost art, I ask this question again. Is this why genuine worship is also a lost experience today? In other words, no meditation, no true worship. Psalm 63, as we have seen, seem to bear this out. But so does 1 Kings chapter 19. You recall that the prophet Elijah had gotten his eyes of God and placed it on Jezebel instead. The God he had just honored, worshipped, and glorified on Mount Carmel was suddenly far away from him. He was not practicing the presence of God anymore as he did on the mount. He wasn't thinking of him only his present predicament concerning Jezebel. Notice what the text says, beginning at verse 11 of First Kings chapter 19. I quote, So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before God. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle wind. And it came about when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? End of quote. That's the way some of our worship services are. A lot of strong wind, earthquake, and fire. The music is rocking and the people are jumping. But many have come to equate such experiences with genuine worship today. But can it really be truthfully said 
that the Lord is always present in such activities? The excitement and physical energy might certainly suggest power, but it can be that, as in the case of Elijah, it is only apparent power generated by the might of the flesh rather than spiritual power generated by the Holy Spirit. Because even as it is true in service, so it is true in worship. It is not by might, says the Lord, but by my spirit. Elijah sensed the presence of the Lord and the sound of the gentle blowing wind. He tuned into the presence of God by quieting his heart and emotions and simply listening, not singing, not talking, just listening, just meditating. This, I say, is what needs more emphasis in our worship today, and especially in our corporate worship, quietness, reflection, meditation, a time for confession of sin, as well as a time for rejoicing over the fact and blessedness of forgiveness by a holy God, who is worthy of our worship because of his grace, his mercy, and his love. We will conclude this series next time, Lord's willing. Until then, this is Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be happening